Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one-shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One-Shot Wonders. Hey everybody, welcome to One Shot Wonders with Adam Phillips, and today our guest is the delightful Nat Gertler of About Comics, his own publishing company, which does some really cool stuff, and we have a uh, a fun episode ahead, it's sort of a double header, I think that's a sports term, we're going to be talking about the One Shot Cerebus Jam and something else, which we'll get into a little later, but... Nat, good to have you here. So good to be here. Yeah, thank you for participating. Cerebus Jam is, is a really cool book. I wasn't really aware of before, even though I was knew a lot about Cerebus. But why don't we start by say, you know, asking the question I always ask, which is why this book, Nat? Why? 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 Why I picked it, or or why does it exist? No, why? Why did you pick it? And why did I pick you... it? Well, well, actually, I uh, narrowed what I was wanted to talk to about down to 16 books and did an online poll as to what people wanted me to talk about. So blame everybody but me for this one. <laughs> no, that was cool. No, but I mean, you know, what, what made this book even get a place on the list? Well, Cerebus is something that had always been of, of interest to me. Um, a lot of people, I, I think a lot of people these days see Cerebus, they think of the creator Dave Sim and as just some, he's viewed sometimes as a whack job. Let's put it that way. He's, uh-huh. he's uh, has his own strong opinions and it built a lot of his later career around them. Yes. But Cerebus was a very important book, very a very good book for a long time, and a very important book uh, in the direct market in establishing black and white self-published material as being uh, quite viable. Yeah, I mean, Cerebus, yeah. alongside, I guess, ElfQuest, were pretty, they, they were pretty much the two successful late 70s black and white books mm-hmm. that you know, really helped steer the course of independent comics publishing into the 80s. Yeah, and, and ended up having a lot of effects with the dependent comics publishing as well, uh, yeah. because th- those were the books that started doing trade paperbacks on an ongoing basis. Right. So Cerebus first, and uh, then about 10 months later, ElfQuest would started collecting their full storylines. And so they could run longer storylines, and you could always go back and buy the previous stuff. So they sold a lot of books and they also made it easier to get into their series. Yeah. So I will show off a little bit and say that I bought Cerebus from issue number one way back. And then I, I don't have it anymore. I traded it away for something in the probably the mid 1980s. I read it probably for the first hundred issues. And then I um, kind of dropped it for a while, but I went back and reread a lot of it later. Yeah, I came, I came in uh, later than you did. I think it was somewhere in the I think my first issue was somewhere in the 30s, mm-hmm. but I stuck with I stuck with it till somewhere around in the 180s. Mm-hmm. And I keep on meaning to go back and complete my reading of it. Uh one of the things that happened was because he was putting out these trade paperbacks first 5 issues at a time and later 25 issues at a time. Yes. He he seemed to start writing instead of writing issues, he was writing graphic novels that he was putting out a piece at a time and sometimes that made the individual piece a little less satisfying and between that 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 is exactly why i stopped reading it (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know why at the time, but I remember reading one issue and just going, well, this is practically nothing happens, you know, and I was anyway, it was a little expensive for me at the time too, you know, compared to a regular comic book. Mm-hmm. And between that, it got to a point where he was doing some stuff in the editorial that did not match my personal politics. And sure. I'll pay to be bored and I'll pay to be offended, but I'll be damned if I'll pay to be both. <laughs> so, but yeah. as I say, I always meant to go back and read the longer, all the longer works as they were meant to be seen. Mm-hmm. But but those early uh, trade paperback is actually part of why the key part of why Cerebus Jam exists. Because when he did those trade paperbacks, he would add in brand new stories where he was working with other creators, other artists for the first yeah. time. So, you know, uh, if you read the, the Swords of Cerebus, that was what, the, what they called the ones that were five issues at a chunk. Right. He's got folks like Marshall Rogers, Joe Rubenstein, Gene Day uh, doing, doing stories in there. And he even let Barry Winter Smith write and draw a complete tale of himself. Oh, so, my gosh. I didn't even know so, that. Yeah, yeah. The, I think that was the, the last of the set. I think that was the, the, the final of the Swords of Cerebus. So, you know, there, there was some, you know, ma- major work being done there, some interesting work. And he was having, yeah. I'm sure, fun working with these other people. And so when that came to an end, when he started shifting to doing these 25 issue phone books, as folks call them, yeah. then it, there wasn't a place for that. So he came up with this idea of having what was planned as a bi-monthly book, Cerebus Jam. You, you say that for one-shots, you're covering both things that were meant to be one-shot and things that weren't meant to be one-shot, but only one came out, and this yep. falls in that latter category. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, talks about that. Yeah, even when the issue came out, he admits that it's not going to be bi-monthly. He doesn't <laughs> say yet it's not going to ever exist again, but he said the, the announcement of bi-monthly, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a lot of material in here too, to, to say the least. Yeah, but, oh, he um, went, yeah, went through a lot of good collaborators to have. I mean, great, working with great people here. It would actually be terrific if he would repackage all those Cerebus by other creators' stories into one book. I don't know if there's enough for a book, but well, be a lot uh, of fun. You, you okay? I'll have those, and also, I don't think he's reprinted the short Cerebus stories he did for Epic Magazine. Oh yeah, I uh, he did some young service tales and and one of Arnold the Asurian that you know these sort of things between those the jam that they add up and I'm not, I'm not sure what other services might not be in some of the collections these days because there's you know stories in AV and 3D and things like that yes so there's enough stuff lying around some of it might have rights issues I don't know what the epic contracts were like and a lot of that stuff was meant to be in color and uh, sim publishes in black and white rather you know he i don't i don't know that if he himself has ever put out a colored book i can't i can't think of a one he's done mm-hmm. portfolios and stuff but not not comics yes i believe you're right and i feel like those epic stories might have been in color am i wrong uh most of them were arnold the Asurian wasn't but the young cerebus ones yeah which mm-hmm. is some of his early stuff working with a guy named gerhard who would draw these amazing backgrounds for him yes uh, and he Gerhard came in uh, somewhat into the run of Cerebus, but then stayed till the end, even though he and Sim were no longer on speaking terms, apparently, by the end. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, collaboration for that long is, is, is tough to maintain. Right. So this issue came out in February 1985. And I guess I could have looked. 
but I think Cerebus started around, I want to say 77. Is that correct? Mm, sounds about right. I don't have it memorized off the top of my head. I'm going to take a look while we're talking. But it, it, it came out, it was listed as an April issue, which would be the same month as Cerebus 73, I believe. Ah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, he was really very reliable on, you know, regular Cerebus issues coming out. Well, month, there's a period when he... Out. It was a period when he fell behind, but then he caught up. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they, he and Gerhard hid away somewhere and did a bunch of issues uh, very, very quickly. Wow, total guess, but I was correct, 1977. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> well, a very fertile time for the, the, the direct market was creating new opportunities for things like this to exist. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is just a little after Star Reach. And, mm-hmm. you know, things like the First Kingdom were going to still. Um, yeah. And okay, Sim but, had done some work for the Star Reach folks. Uh, um, yeah, that's right. He did some stuff in, in Quack. Some, yep. some, some, so, as much as I liked Star Reach, I liked Quack even better. Oh yeah, fantastic! A fantastic series. Anyway, but I mean, you know, something's up right from the start with this thing. Even if you don't know what a jam is, you know, the fact that it's got a cover by Bill Sienkiewicz really tells you so this is yeah. different. And a very lively one. Bill is, draw, is drawing Cerebus exactly in the Sim style. He's not reimagining it, but he's bringing so much of his outline texture and added bizarre decorations. I'm not sure what these girls in bikinis and helmets are actually doing <laughs> in a Cerebus book, but yes. there they are. And they are by Bill Kevich, so they are lovely. Yes, they're really cool. And those helmets look like, you know, Air Force helmets or something, maybe. They're so strange. I don't know what they are. Anyway, they're fa- very fabulous and cool, but mm-hmm. it's like, what is going on here? And he does that thing that Sim always did, which I thought was really almost pushing the way he drew Cerebus into cubism, where when Cerebus is like yelling or whatever, you can see both sides of his mouth at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Anyway, so there's four stories in this issue with four terrific, well, five terrific uh, collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um the first one's called The Defense of Fort Columbia, and it's Dave Sim writing and drawing with Bowen Scott Hampton. And also Gerhard was helping on this and, one, too. Uh, yes, that's correct. Ger- Gerhard yeah. it has his hands in a lot of these stories, of course. And it's basically the Cerebus and two guys who are Bowen Scott Hampton, essentially, are traipsing through the woods on the way to the to fort columbia and the two guys are just arguing about which way they should which route they should take yeah i don't know and, what the hamptons are up to these days but yeah they, they had done silver heels for um eclipse yeah. and and a number of things they were they were very love lovely uh artists yeah i was talking to somebody recently about the uh, graphic novel night cries that I think is by Scott Hampton, illustrated by Scott Hampton, written by Archie Goodwin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they, yeah, they had a, a legacy for sure, but apparently a legacy of arguing as well. Yeah, well, um, and, and whenever I, I always have trouble when one of them did something, remembering which one it was. I actually own an original sure. page of art by one of them, and uh-huh. I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> uh, That's it, it's a page from Total Eclipse, the big Eclipse crossover. It's a splash page with Miracle Man. Oh, so wow. it's a nice, yeah, a nice thing to, you know, a Miracle Man page not written by Moore Gaiman. But other than that, hey, it's cool. Oh, I wonder who wrote it. <laughs> Marv Wolfman. Yeah, but Total Eclipse was not his uh, finest hour. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, not every crossover succeeds on the same level. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they're arguing their way along, and then I mean, you know, this is these are short short stories. It's mostly just the argument. Yeah, and then yeah, the it's end. not stories. It's it's not stories so much as vignettes. I'd yeah, say, you know, exactly. it's, it's, and uh, nothing happens. It's just here's the characters. Here's what they're like mostly. Yeah, and then they look off and see the castle is being attacked and is on fire, and it's like, well, I guess there's no point in continuing. Mm-hmm. So, and then this next story, we can, I mean, unless you want to say something else about this one, of course. No, nah, no, nah, eh. not much to say. Uh, the next story really reminds me of the kind of thing Terry Pratchett would write. Um, and that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Terry Pratchett fan. This is a collaboration between Sam Murphy Anderson and Gerhard. And it's called The First Invention of Armor, 1404. And funny story. And by the way, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this armor looks like the Shining Knight. You would know better than I have. I have not read that much <laughs> Shining Knight. I have not I memorized really, it. I haven't really either, but it just looks like, I bet that's what, I should have looked it up. But, um, I bet that's what the Shining Knight looked like anyway. But, you know, mm. Murphy Anderson is a really interesting guy himself. Of course, a fantastic artist who moved from being a penciler and inker to just an inker. Um, from much of later in his career, you know, he, mm-hmm. um, Julie Schwartz at DC kind of teamed Murphy up with Kurt Swan in the 70s. And um, they're a very well remembered penciler and inker team, but that sort of put Murphy's penciling in the backseat, although he was still doing some mm-hmm. uh, at that time. Anyway, this is a very funny story. Um, and, yeah, and, yeah, it's a good, good ending. Yeah. Good ending. Yeah, Murphy also. I mean, he did. He was an interesting guy because you know he um, became a color separator. He took over running um, PS, PS magazine. magazine. Yep, PS yep. magazine for for the armed forces from Will Eisner. Anyway, this is a pretty funny story about like the first guy who invented armor, and then uh, Cerebus and I don't know who this guy is, Bear are sort of explaining to him all the drawbacks to armor because you're going to be blazing hot in there. And, you know, it's, you know, you can't bend your elbows and. Yeah, but he's denying it. He's disproving everything they say, which ends up being his fatal flaw. (laughs) I know it's great. I mean, it's a funny ending. You know, they trick him basically into jumping off a bridge. Well, they they trick him into jumping onto the edge of the bridge. Oh, right. He falls off. He's got yes. that momentum. You know, good armor gives you lots of good momentum. That's true. You know? And you couldn't, it's, yeah, it's really even funnier. Like they could have pushed him, but they really didn't have to. Um, and then, and then they say, establish that armor is then not invented for hundreds of years or something like that. So right. it, it, the sim automatically eliminates armor from the service continuity. <laughs> yeah. And I love, this is a kind of page that, um, Sim did a lot where it's the last page of the story is four panels that are virtually identical, except for the last one where Bear and Cerebus have left the scene. But they're just the first three panels out of the four, they're just standing on the bridge watching as the bubbles slowly stop. And everything else is just perfectly identical, except for the water. Yeah. Well, he keeps the camera angle the same. Yeah. So, yeah. 
everything else that's going on gets a little more attention. He does that even on the previous page. There's a three-panel series there. That's true, yeah. it's To me, it's almost like a silent movie thing when he does that kind of keep the camera still and just let the little little tiny bit of action tell the story. Mm-hmm. Well, Sim Sim is a very skilled skilled creator. Yeah, so he, that is true. He, he, um, I was going to mention before, but a friend of mine, I ran into John Lehman at the San Diego mini convention in November, and he was telling me, "I got to read the Alex the um, book about the death of Alex Raymond that Sim mm-hmm. just came out with." So I have to pick that up sometime. Yeah, that's on the uh, goal list too. But yeah, yeah. Next story is uh, maybe probably my favorite of the bunch because I'm a huge fan of Popeye. Mm-hmm. Um, but the- and so is artist Terry Austin. Yeah, he, he really is. He famously used to uh, put Popeye in the background of any crowd scenes he could get away with it. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Terry, for those Terry for those who don't know, is probably best known for his inking on John Byrne's X-Men run and very clean, sharp inks. Yeah, he's fantastic. And every, anytime he pops up, it, you know, the book's going to look that much better. And he, it's interesting. Like, we, everyone remembers him for the X-Men, and rightly so. But he inked a ton of other stuff. And he, it's like he and Byrne were really a very complimentary team. But mm-hmm. it's always interesting when you see him inking you know, somebody really odd, like uh, George Tusca or whatever, and see, yeah. see how that Austin elevates that work, you know, even though I love George Tusca, um, seeing somebody like Austin give him a modern finish is, is really interesting. Anyway, so, but this story is called Squint Eye the Sailor, and man, it's a pretty great Popeye riff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's ba- basically young, a very young Cerebus encountering this old grill, grizzled sailor and mm-hmm. just being in awe of, of everything. You know, Popeye's going through his beating people up and other such things that he does and leaves young Cerebus awestruck. Yes. Yes, violence is the answer, Cerebus thinks. Not, he, not literally, but it just seems to me that's what he takes away from it. Yeah, so Popeye, I mean, Squint Eye, um, kind of gets harassed by this Bluto look-alike, and then they start fighting and stuff. And um, you know, Popeye really kicks his butt. And I keep saying Popeye, but I do mean Squint Eye. I promise. Yes, there's absolutely no relation. No, not it's, at all. What was the name of that other guy? Oh my god, I'm not gonna remember the DC character. Oh well. Oh yeah, Captain something or other. I, I remember something like that existing. I'm not sure I ever saw one of his stories. Yeah. So I have no help too. here. No, yeah. no. Um, but yeah, lots of people love Popeye enough to do their own homages to him. And uh, yeah, little Cerebus walks away thinking about himself being just like Popeye, a grizzled old squinty sailor man. Mm-hmm. The aardvark equivalent thereof. Yeah, right. It's so funny. And the last story I just talked about actually um, in an episode a few weeks ago about the Spirit Jam, where my mm-hmm. guest was Dennis Kitchen, and they reprinted this story in the back of the Spirit Jam like collection. Basically, the Spirit Jam, just real briefly, originally was an issue of the Spirit magazine. 
and then they reprinted it i guess about five or six years later in a square bound still skinny volume um but they threw this story in the back just to pad it out a little bit and so that you know something else that qualified as a spirit jam story uh yeah and it's, it's just, right it, it should have a, a permanent home amongst the spirit for spirit collectors to get their hands on it so that was probably a wise idea it I was mean, great yeah, yeah. But uh, Dennis told me he he had nothing to do with that story, but, you know, except that it was cool to see. So, yeah, he got to, um, Dave Sim got to work with Will Eisner on this, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Eisner, he just wanted Eisner to draw the characters, but Eisner couldn't resist drawing rain dropping, dripping over windows and such, which... uh, uh, is understandable. Uh, yeah. Now, where where it falls in spirit continuity, where somehow spirit <laughs> and therapists are existing in the same time, that's a different question. I think we don't have to look at that one too closely. Probably not. Yeah. I, I I will say, and I don't like to be critical of these things, but you know that opening panel, I almost can't read. So yeah, I was I was about to say the same thing. They're do, trying to do a uh, uh, the title made out of buildings that they would sometimes do in the spirit. They do fancy things like that to display the spirit. Yeah. But Cerebus Jam is too many letters. And it just was, gets all too overlapped and crowded I and see. it's hard to read. It is Cerebus Jam. Now that, now that you've said it, I realize, of course. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's just a very light little story of, you know, Cerebus is being hauled into the garrison town lockup, which happens to look a lot like the Central City police station. Um, and he's talking to like Commissioner Dolan and this other guy, the spirit or the wraith, haha, or <laughs> whatever his name is. And then they kind of have a fight because Dolan tells spirit to drag this runt to the cells if he's not going to pay his fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah a- after the, the battle for a while, the whole thing is stopped by a mysterious figure that turns out to be Will Eisner himself. Even though he's so... wearing somebody's gloves, I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be somebody's gloves. I don't get it. Um, it's it's fabulous again, and yeah, it ends with Will Eisner sitting at his desk, sort of saying, "You know, this is the easiest way to clean up this story and finish it, or whatever." It's it's fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also like the inside back cover of this issue, if only for the reminder that you could get service artwork for forty bucks a page back then, and of course, oh. I yeah, and I did. I, I got did one. You? Oh, you... I I got one. Unfortunately, I put down a list of the pages I wanted, yeah. and I got like basically the last one on the list because I was asking for issues that they hadn't gotten the art back yet. Apparently, so oh. I didn't get Miss, Mrs. Tyndale Clyde's tea or a number of other pages. But I still got a. I got a splash page. I got a a, a one big panel and part. It was a. It had a multi page story title. So I've got part of uh of that. I've got. It was another thing coming, and I've got like the A and the N, I think. <laughs> That's awesome, though. You know what still, number it is? Uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I was thinking 63, but I'm probably wrong. Uh, I, I, sorry, I didn't think to, 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 no, to remember that. But it's the issue, another thing coming. It's got Cerebus standing on top of a building, uh, you know, a Gerhard building. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's lovely. And I paid $40 plus postage or something, something like that for it. And I think I, I, it was a good investment. Uh, that wasn't Certainly. what I was buying it for. It was a good no. thing to own. It's a cool thing to have. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's great. I um, wish I had done it and I probably just did not have the money at the time or whatever. And um, yeah, I didn't spend a lot of money on original art back then. And 40, you know, $40 <laughs> even then was not really that much. I think the most I ever paid for art back when I was buying much was maybe 80 or a hundred dollars. So it wasn't a lot of money. Yeah, I, I think about 80 is about the, the high, highest I paid for uh, like Amazing Man cover. But <laughs> the things I got out of the two for 25 piles, it just makes people sad these days. I mean, I, I got oh, yeah. I got Walt Simonson and, wow. I got, and he doesn't sell his pages, no, but um, but his inkers who, did. I would just say who inked it <laughs> because Claw, yeah. Claus Jansen. I've got uh, uh, Close Encounters and Battlestar Galactica page. Oh, that's uh, great. So yeah, yeah, uh, I lucked lucked out there, and you know I've got got colon and all kinds of cool things for you know under fifty bucks. Nice. Uh, I only have a handful of pages left. I sold off most of mine, and I only ever had a little over a hundred pages, but I sold off most of mine some years back. But I recently got a Pogo Daily strip in the last five years or so. Ooh, yeah. You know what? Um, I said this on, on social media today to somebody who's asking, "How do you get?" artwork from pogo if you ever get to uh WonderCon, there was a guy there the last time i went which is like two years ago or three years ago who had an original art table including tons of pogo art so sweet i don't know if you go to that show but well i haven't gotten anything the past couple of years but well, yeah. uh, when i go to things i do go to WonderCon. Uh, yeah. It's good, good show, fun show, a little lighter than the San Diego con. I usually have, you know, when possible, I, I do a panel of some sort and bring the family along and, and my daughter gets to cosplay and everybody has a good time. That's fun. Yeah. And then the other page I got very recently was, I couldn't believe nobody was bidding on it, but because it, it was an auction page from um, Heritage. Um, but it's a page from Jason's Quest by Mike Sikowski. Ooh, nice. And it's really fun. Yeah. And it was like, it cost next to nothing. <laughs> it was like nobody noticed it or something. Crazy. So, as I said earlier, we have a double header today because About Comics publishes some fantastic books of all kinds. You know, you're, you're well known for the uh, facsimile editions of the, yeah, am I going to get this right? Negro Travelers Green Book. Is that the, the right title? <laughs> Well, it changed titles over the years. That is one of the correct titles. Oh, okay. it's, it's not a comics thing, but it's not, But being a one-man publishing company, I'm pretty much allowed to publish whatever I, I want to and can clear the rights on. So no, yeah. no boss is telling me you got to stick by the title. But you've done a lot of stuff like um, these collections of some Charles Schultz um, material that's a little obscure, mm -hmm. uh, like it's only a game. And the sort of religious panel comics that I thought were really interesting. Yeah, I, I did a lot of the nun cartoons of the 1950s. For some reason, for one year, I just focused on on that sort of stuff. Uh, didn't inspire a lot of purchases, but I was glad to get that out there. No, it's it's great that you're preserving them too, you know. And then you also do custom comics for special occasions of all sorts. Well, I have the the. the I think everybody who breaks out of regular comics says I'm going to do custom comics and they find one or two customers and then it sort of peters out. And that, that's what it's been for me. If somebody came to me and said, Hey, we want to do me a custom comic. I'd say, yeah, sure. I can put that together, but it doesn't happen real often. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, you uh, sent me a couple and the one I thought we would talk about is called Raul Berglin, 
the absence of bar mitzvah man, um, <laughs> which was made for a kid's bar mitzvah. Well, no, a, an adult's bar mitzvah. That's what a bar mitzvah well, is. Yes. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Uh, definitely. You know, somewhere in the middle, they don't give you the exact time of, day, you know, in the now, okay, still boy, still boy. Now you're a man. Right. Bing. Yeah, so, right. The bell yeah. goes. But this is really fun. And it's in the style of the wonderful Bongo comics. I loved those. And I actually worked on a couple um, early on. I was I was a behind the scenes helper on Bart Simpson's comics and stories, which is the very first Bongo comic. Oh, the, the, the Welsh publishing? Yeah. Is that the name you're looking for? Yeah. yeah, I worked for Welsh publishing for like five years. Okay, cool. And Matt Groening and a couple of his associates came to New York, and they and I and the head of Welsh publishing, Don Welsh, took the train down to Baltimore and met with like Steve Jeppy and Bill Shanus and a bunch of people like that and got the tour of the vault and... You know, we, we spent the trip back talking about how great Carl Barks is mostly, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I got to help them sort of figure out what the comic book marketplace looks like, which was nice. Anyway, so, yeah, this is very much, you know, in that style. Why don't you tell us a little about it and how it came about and all that? Well, I, I, I had put my custom comics sign out on, online so that people looking for custom comics could find me. And... Raul Berglund is not his real name. I made two editions of this, one with his real name to actually be given at the bar mitzvah and one with a fake name to maintain his privacy. And this, this is the one I give out for, for promoting my custom comics business. Yes. So, yeah, but we'll, we'll just call him Raul. Raul's mom wanted a custom comic and wanted to see what, what was available because her kid loved comics, particularly Simpsons comics and Bone. And, ah. you know, I, I, I figured out roughly what her what budget was. And this was something that she was, you know, putting a, a little something special, something to make, make the event, you know, as a bar mitzvah is an inherently special event, but people like to fancy them up a bit. And so this is going to be her, her outlay. I didn't charge her too, too much, but, uh, uh, and so I spent a lot of time talking to her about what her son was like, what kind of things he liked. He really liked Simpsons comics. He liked bone comics. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. he has this dog he loved. You know, he's got the he, he, here are the members of his family. Uh, he, he's got a favorite comic shop, and I tried to work them all into this story. And so I, I found somebody who had an artist who had hadn't actually worked on the Simpsons comic, but had pitched the Simpsons comic. So he had wow. samples of him being able to draw fairly Simpsons like, and because he hadn't actually worked on the Simpsons comic, he uh, he was affordable. <laughs> Which is, you know, it was, it was very important because, you know, the budget was not infinite, to put it gently. Sure, yeah. So, I, yeah, I work with Jim McQuarrie, nice guy, uh, uh, and yeah. gotten to work with him other times, too. Yes. And this is a really fun story. I thought I picked up on that bone reference in here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, it's basically a recreation of the stupid, stupid rat creature scene. Ah. Uh, yeah, we, but instead of using the uh, very, very the, the very friendly dog Cyan uh, instead of the the rat creature, so yeah. I put I put Raul in the bone spot and and the uh, the dog in the rat creature spot, and so if if you know bone, it's an amusing just because of reference. If you don't know bone, it works in the story where it is. So. Yeah, for sure. And I love the gimmick here with the um, yarmulkes of. Ultra high tech yarmulkes of knowledge. 
Mm-hmm. This, it's so great. It's all, I mean, I don't think you meant it to be like a Legion of Superheroes thing, but for some reason, that's what it reminded me of. Uh, it wasn't uh, specifically coming off of that, but no. <laughs> it, it was it, the fact that he has a number of yarmulkes with cartoon characters on him. The, 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 the real Raul was into doing that. And so I really wanted to use the yarmulkes and creating a, having a yarmulke in which he stored all his Torah knowledge for his bar mitzvah ended up being very yes. handy in the that's a great gimmick for sure also that's uh it's really fun the whole thing is a delight and you know the, the sleepy dogs that he has to run by and um as he's trying to catch up with his own dog mm-hmm. are a lot of fun keith's comics by the way still around in dallas i know that guy a little bit and Good. Uh, glad, glad to hear it yeah <laughs> and um he asks the he asks the owner of Keith's comics, Keith, um, what Bible comics do you have? And he starts rattling off the, these very weird comics. I guess. I mean, I don't think I've read either of those. Was is there a Golden Plates comic or not? Actually, I, I yeah, I believe Mike Allred did a, a Golden Plates. Mike Mike's a, a Latter Day yeah. Saint guy. He, um, he is yes, so. uh-huh. and a sweetheart. <laughs> Anyway, and they finally get to the bar mitzvah, and it is a lot of fun. What was the response you got? Well, it came as quite a surprise to the bar mitzvah boy. He did not know this was coming. He apparently loved it, and everybody just thought this was the coolest thing. I was kind of hoping for the effect of, because usually you have a bar mitzvah, (laughs) you have a lot of Jewish kids around that age coming to your bar mitzvah, so it would serve as advertising. I was hoping to hear back from somebody else in that community, but eh, it didn't happen. Ah, that would have been great. Yeah, but yeah, well, I, 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 I got I got coverage in in one of the Jewish papers oh, cool. uh, 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 about this this thing, and that drew one or two inquiries that didn't go anywhere. Wow. Uh, once people realize, I mean, I could I could do things relatively cheap for comics, but mm-hmm. it's still comics. It's still pages of art. So you know, and I want to treat treat the people I work with well. I'm not trying to squeeze them into in, into slave wages for doing something that isn't going to be very visible in, in the community. It won't even you know give them publicity, right? So it it, ha- it never quite worked out. No, that's too bad. Yeah, being my Mister Comics guy would have been kind of cool. That would have been right. Now I'm tempted to look up Bar Mitzvah Man on the Grand Comics database. I, I'm not. I'm not sure he's there. Now, people should know, ah. this is not the first custom comic that was done for a bar mitzvah. Oh. Um, yeah, it, I guess I knew that. 1988, somebody uh, with a bit more money than what I was dealing with here paid DC to right. create a Superman bar mitzvah comic featuring the bar mitzvah boy. This Isle yes. Bradman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was... Written by David Levin, uh, and the art was by Kurt Swan, inked by Angelo Torres. Now they just did a short story. They they made they printed a full issue, but the most of it was a reprint of a burn story. But they uh, okay. in, in, in the front and the cover there was this, this brand new story, and it's a a rare item because it only pretty much went to the people who worked on it and the folks at the bar mitzvah. Wow, I forgot about that. What was the name? I'm sorry. This Island Bradman or Bradman. I'm not sure how his name is pronounced. Oh yes, okay. Because that I'll have to put on my list of hard comics to find, but I want to eventually talk about them on the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And um, if you could just 
bri briefly tell us about the other couple of comics that you sent my way as examples of uh, your custom comics publishing because they're they're real interesting. Well, uh, I sent you, I believe, Chinese Fortune Comics. Yes, <laughs> which was uh, I, I was hired by a a Chinese restaurant, the Lignin, uh, which is a Canadian restaurant that was run by a family that had been reality TV stars. Oh, really? Uh, yes, yes. There was, a, there was a show. There was one season of a show about this this wacky family running their restaurant. And so the, these people were already sort of established as characters, uh, which was which was fun fun to work with. And I was That's working cool. with I was working with the, the the son the son of the family who was at the time doing a lot of the practical managing of the restaurant, and a friend of his who was really into comics and and I who had uh, done some other other things for and with. And so we ended up doing two stories. One, the friend really wanted us to do a Twilight Zone parody, which I was, I'm not sure was the best thing for the audience. It was just fun to be a giveaway from the restaurant. Yeah. You come in, you get a comic book. And if it went over well, we expected to do it, you know, every half year or year, do another issue. That, that's uh, a weird fit to do Twilight Zone Chinese restaurant. But yeah, yeah. So I, I, I yeah, but, but this was the client. You make the client yeah. happy. Yes, the pe the people who pay pay you get to say what goes in, in the book. So I did the best job <laughs> I could. I got Jim McQuarrie to to draw that that first story as well. And then there were there were, we we put in the sort of fun things you want in a comic, particularly if you're having it at a restaurant. You know, there there was I think a maze and a puzzle, and that's also very che cheaper to put to put in than pages of comic. Yes, and then we had a backup story where the family all became superheroes, and. <laughs> And I got a talented Robert Pope to, to do that. I've worked with him on some peanut stuff. Uh, he's one of the big nice. peanuts artists. Mm -hmm. uh, and that came out pretty good. And apparently the family really liked it and it went over well. But the uh, son who was managing things stopped being the person who was managing the restaurant. And even though there was talk about doing another issue, it never quite happened. So ah. that was an unintended one shot. <laughs> there you go. Cool. And I'm trying to... Yeah, I try to remember what the other thing I did. I sent you uh, many happy returns. Is that the other thing I sent I you? I think that was it. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was actually the the same guy who was a friend of the uh, 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 folks who ran the Chinese restaurant was a friend of some folks who had a comic shop or a set of comic shops, the Happy Harbor comic shops, and they wanted to do they wanted to produce a comic. And first they came, they wanted to do one more issue of my licensable bear series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which I done, which I done four issues basically annually. Uh, at these days, if it's remembered for anything, is because I was the first person to put Obama into a standard comic. Ah. He showed up as a character more than a year before he showed up in the Spider Man and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but at that point, I basically completed Licensable Bear. I had some maybe individual short story ideas, but I didn't want to do another full issue of it. But if he was willing to put money into it, I would see if I could get things that, that uh, people already knew and might already like a bit more than Licensable Bear, which was never that, I, I mean, I like it. I, the people who yeah. read it like it, but not a lot of people read it. Right. Um, so we managed to get a brand new Journey story by William Mesner Loebs. And we got the, uh, the, I think the last new Crossfire story by Evan Ear and Dan Spiegel. Yeah. And put those in there. So as well as a, a little bit, a little bit of Licensable Bear, keep everybody happy. <laughs> No, that was cool. Mm -hmm. We loved. Uh, I loved Crossfire. Yeah, loved uh, I, yeah. I, I, I had uh, done a, a published a 
Crossfire reprint of one at one point, just uh, the first five yes. issues in or four issues and one of the side series in a digest form. So mm-hmm. it was good to get to do new stuff. I, that, that I'm proud of. I, I, it's rare that I get to do that revive a character, but but it you know it's fun to give a little bit more to for something that people like back when. I just published an issue of the Jam, which oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, this Canadian superhero series from mostly the 1990s. It hasn't had a new issue in a couple decades, but the creator, Bernie Moreau, came to me and said, hey, you know, I'm, yeah, I'd been working with them on something else. And he said, I got it, want to put this out. And I said, go find a bigger, better publisher. And he says, nah, I want to do it with you. So, so that's out there now. Uh huh. That's fantastic. Is it color? It's color. Yeah, it's a 64 page issue with a 38 page The Jam story. And then there's some backup material, some of which are new, some of which are, are reprint. Yeah. But colorized for the first time. Yeah, because I always, some of that stuff I remember having really distinctive coloring. Oh, yeah. Oh, the color is beautiful. He got these in the main story, uh, which he adapted a prose story he'd written earlier, but expanded a lot, including adding sort of these dream parallel things going on and the colors and those are just amazing they're colors you really don't see in comics yeah exactly cool well nat thanks for uh stopping by <laughs> oh and thanks. uh thanks for having me on and let me ramble a bit i apologize uh, you know no, i hit a few too many things but not uh, at all not at all that's that's what uh the podcasting life is all about and uh, i appreciate it it was a lot of fun And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see each other one of these days. That would be great. That would be great. Take care, sir. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to One Shot Wonders. I'll be back next week with another One Shot comic. Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.